I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity, auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. Uh, so, funny thing happened as we were getting ready for the show today. I speaking with our guest here. Uh, I realized um, he's you know written a lot of really interesting books, and uh, it was kind of a cool moment to realize I get to talk to somebody who I looked at their book extensively around ecosystems and a lot of the thinking that went into building out some uh, platforms in prior life. So uh, that is to say, I'm really excited to kind of get into some heady stuff with Charles Araujo, uh, our guest today. Thanks for joining, Charles. Absolutely. I'm always excited when someone has read one of my books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I like, didn't even realize until so I kind of went through and went, oh, yeah, I, I remember that book. That was cool. You know, um, it, it is, it's this funny thing, right? You write this stuff, you put it on the world, and then you sort of forget about it, you move on. And I was giving a speech in Poland, and this guy walked up to me and talked about how impactful my first book was to him. And it was just, it, you know, it's, it's always fun and kind of humbling. So I appreciate hearing it. Very cool. I've, uh, I think I'm, I'm too bullheaded to deal with publishers, so I've never done it myself, but I respect the people who've gone through the process. Um, and Charles has, uh, you know, multi-time author here. Um, around a lot of topics on kind of transformation and experience and APIs and ecosystems. So uh, I think, you know, our audience uh, speaks your language. So I think you're in the right place. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about kind of what you're into these days. Oh, well, there's a long setup. Uh, I mean, I think the most important thing to know is that today I'm a, I call myself, I guess, an author, a speaker, an industry analyst. I published something called the Digital Experience Report. But it's an evolution. I, I realize I get told all the time that I'm a little bit different, not just by my wife, um, but uh, by, you know, by folks, because I don't come from the analyst side or really even, you know, the author or journalist side. I'm an IT guy. I ran IT operations for a billion dollar healthcare firm 20 odd, some odd years ago. Spent another decade running large scale transformation programs in large financial services and, and healthcare organizations. And then, you know, sort of became this accidental author. I was like this crazy preacher on the sidewalk. This is 10, 12 years ago. I saw that the world of IT was changing. And so, you know, I was like this crazy guy going, you must transform. And these execs that I'm working with go, okay, into what? What's coming? And I realized I don't have a good answer for that. I probably should. So I went away one weekend, um, thought about it, put some ideas up on a website, which I don't even know what happened to, coined the term the quantum age of IT, which was my first book. And so this publisher reaches out to me and says, Hey, this is really cool stuff. You ever thought of writing a book? I thought, well, that can't be very hard, right? Ha ha ha. <laughs> uh, so it was like this year and a half long process. I interviewed all these people, did all this research and published this first book. And it was truly transformative, not only insofar as I started getting invitations to speak and it kind of changed my career, but it was personally transformative because it, it forces you to sort of crystallize what you think is actually happening. And so that's been, that's been what sort of started this part. And I've been on this journey, which I'm sure we'll talk about today over the last decade or 10, 12 years now of evolution. I started focusing on IT transformation that evolved into digital transformation. And that has now evolved into this, uh, this feeling that it's really all about the digital experience. In fact, that it, you know, sort of this kind of continuing, continual winnowing of my viewpoint as I sort of get more and more crystallized about what it really means. Yeah, it's funny because um, having been part of some of these sort of transformation efforts and, you know, digital whatever um, 
sometimes you feel like it's just a lot of words and terms. Uh, but I, I think for my taste, like this notion that, um, that it's, you know, in my day job at stoplight, certainly, um, you know, we look at like user experience and kind of what that became in the late nineties, early two thousands and feel like the same things happening for developers. But I feel like that's also like way too far down the stack of concerns in all of these transformation efforts and that folks sometimes don't recognize like the bigger picture. Um, so I, I guess from your perspective, shifting from this generic transformation to now like a little more experience focused. And then, you know, there's kind of this, maybe we don't go too far down that path yet, but um, like, what's kind of the fundamental shift there? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I do think I realized that part of that I was part of the problem. So over the last, I, I started talking about digital transformation um, about seven years ago. I'll, I'll tell, I'll share a very quick story just because it's, it's so fun. So I was at the, my first book came out, it was all about the transformation of the function of IT. And so I, like I said, I started getting these invitations from all over the world to come speak about it. And it was, I was having a great time and I ended up on this speaking tour. I was doing four speaking gigs in a, in a eight day period in New Zealand. And I had this break point. And so two things happened on this trip that were really sort of like foundational. The first is I was asked to speak at something called the digital disruption conference. It was hosted by the Auckland university of technology and the U S embassy. And it was like their answer to Ted talk. So it was non it, it was academics and CEOs and tech startups. And I said, what am I going to talk about? And so that was what actually forced my pivot to this focus on digital transformation, because I said, you know, what does all this mean in this broader context? Right. Um, and so I give the speech, I was the number two trending topic on Twitter, the entire country of New Zealand for like an hour. It was super exciting. I lived in LA at the time and the entire country of New Zealand has like one tenth of population. So it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was like, woohoo. But I got picked up by a friend of mine who lives in New Zealand to go spend the weekend with her and her husband. And I was, you know, on the way there, I was on this high. And she says, my husband's best friend is going to, he and his wife are joining us for dinner. And I'm like thinking, I'm going to brag, you know, humble brag, but I'm going to brag. And he says, well, I, I ask her, so what does he do? And he go, she goes, he's a dairy farmer. I'm like, oh, if there's anybody that's just not going to have any appreciation for anything I do, it's going to be a dairy farmer. It's like, yay for me. So we get there and, and, you know, we're talking, the inevitable question comes. So Charlie, what do you do? I think I better keep it simple. I go, I'm in technology, like Kirsty, my friend. And he goes, oh, technology, huh? And I'm thinking, he's trying to get out of this conversation just like I am. And then he says these words that truly changed my life because he says, yeah, you know, I couldn't run my business without technology at all. And he proceeded to tell me how he had RFID chips and trackers in his cows, tracking how much they consumed, how much came out the other end. He had an automated milking system that came out and pumped the milk, measured it, tested it for disease or whatever, discarded anything it was. And the, 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 his supplier showed up once a week, pumped all the milk out and sent him a check. He says, I spend most of the time traveling around the world on my motorcycle. He says, it's all automated. And I'm like, right? This is like eight years ago. And I'm like, wow, this stuff isn't BS. This is like the real deal. It's changing everything. But I realized that people like me were part of the problem because we talk about it. We use this term and it became this catchphrase that people slammed on everything and, and it became meaningless. And so my evolution to the digital experience is really about just really explaining what is actually happening. So I'll, I'll take a breath here, but 
But that that's, I think, the kind of precipice or what has led us to this point, that it's not about that it was too big. It was just that we weren't being specific enough about what this what this shift actually represented. Awesome. You know, it's funny. I actually started my career in software engineering, um, writing cattle registry systems for some of the big cattle uh, brands. So I got a very early look early on working with cattle people and going, holy crap, this thing is super tech. Like, you know, the the amount of fat in this uh, along the spinal region, like ultrasound, what was like a number that feeds into like a university that does an annual analysis and that determines like a projection on what the, the babies will be like and that like determines their value. It's crazy, super, super tech. And I think it's funny too, like, you know, in looking at the API space, you know, we see this a lot. I mean, like our top customers at Stoplight are they make beer and electrical parts, right? Like, you know, you kind of go, oh, this isn't a software company thing anymore. Um, you know, and, and I think APIs are kind of everywhere, but that's re reflective that everyone's trying to think like they're a platform now. So I'm curious how you see like this kind of the platform thinking thing. How does that mesh with digital experience? I think for some people that hear digital experience and think, oh, this is about making consumer access to your product better. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a great question because I think it's it, my fear is that digital experience is going to have the exact same problem that digital transformation did is that people are going to misinterpret. So I'm doing my best to do a better job this go around. So my, my fundamental belief is that what we saw over the last decade was that throughout the industrial age, it was all about optimization, efficiency, even the stuff you were just talking about. Um, most of the stuff that all of us, if we've been in IT for any period of time, almost everything we did was focused on using technology to drive efficiency, to drive optimization. Over the last decade or so, what we saw was this fundamental shift, that those, those companies that we would all think of as disruptive were not, in fact, out optimizing their competitors. They were not being disruptive because they were highly or more highly optimized. What we found is that they were transforming the nature of the customer experience. And what they really were doing was shifting the power away from the company who sort of dictated the terms of the engagement to the customer who is now in control, combination of lower switching costs and enabling technologies, which just meant that the customer could decide what they wanted. And so when I talk about the digital experience I'm talking about, it's a shift in value where the lever of value creation in the enterprise is now the customer experience. But the customer experience does not stand alone. The customer experience is fed and supported by the employee experience. And the employee experience is important now in its own right because we're competing for talent in every major organization, particularly technical talent. And then it's the ecosystem experience, our ability to interact, because no service that virtually any organization delivers can be delivered in isolation. They have suppliers, they have partners, and all of that has to come together to deliver this cohesive experience. And so digital transformation is the output of that process, right? The fact that we are shifting value creation to the customer experience means that organizations must transform business operating and management models in this sort of continuous loop to continually innovate around the customer experience. And all of this is by digital technology. So to, to your question, these are by far not, you know, at odds, right? The, the digital experience is this, in, you know, interwoven, cohesive look at how all these parts have to fit together. And almost by definition, that means that we need a platform or a, a set of platforms that enable that. So I talk about the X-Tech market um, as this sort of ecosystem of technologies that support the delivery, creation, delivery, management, and sustainment of the digital experience. And the reason I talk about it that way 
is that you know traditional analysts and the industry at, at large loves to kind of put everything in these little silos, every little boxes. But when we're talking about delivering these cohesive experiences over time, all that has to be interwoven and integrated, and they can't be run in isolation. So, you know, we can debate the term platform, but but if what you mean by that is this this interconnected, cohesive set of technologies that all work together to deliver it, you cannot deliver a winning digital experience without it. Yeah. Um, all right. Don't take this the wrong way, Charles, but I can tell you, you speak to a lot of uh, enterprise executives. So I'm going to see if I can translate this for listeners. <laughs> uh, we certainly have a lot of like, you know, architect types, uh, I believe, who are sort of building these things hands on. So let me see if I translate this right. Um, people love the metaphor of like, you know, building a company like a set of Lego bricks, right? And that your Lego brick is the thing that you're good at and plugging in all of these other pieces um, that, that I don't want to say are commoditized, but things that are sort of universal functionality that you can plug in. And I love your concept of workflows. Like it, it totally kind of gave me a new perspective is how do all these pieces fit together into kind of creating effective workflows inside the company? But then I, I think the other piece, and you're not really saying it, but I'm going to tease here, is like that the same is true for the thing that you build. You have to see it in light of a broader workflow outside of what you do in order to actually be a a player in someone else's uh, Lego brick stack, right? Ab absolutely. And whether that is inside of an organization or between organizations, that is true. The, the, the part that I think, especially coming from a technical background and why I'm so heavy on this idea of the customer experience as the center pin of this or the linchpin of it is that it's really easy for technical teams to lose sight of the fact that the value creation model starts and ends there with that customer who's consuming a service. All the rest of it comes from that. So we have to connect all those dots together. And, and it's a really useful construct, in my opinion, because it grounds us. It helps us think through. So you know, I love talking about workloads or, or workflows from the standpoint of let's connect this end-to-end -end process. And then when we put this layer of the experience on top of it, what we understand is the experience is the prism by which create value is in fact created and consumed, right? And that's not universally true depending on what it is you're selling, but it's becoming almost universally true, almost everything we deliver. And, and uh, you know, I test this myself all the time. I was talking to now the former, he just left, former CIO of this company that is a global distributor producer of valves. And I'm like, okay, this is probably a place where the experience isn't. And I'm talking to him and he goes, oh no, 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 no. My customers are all about the consumption experience of how they want to have a partner, they want to interact with us in a certain way, they want us to provide technology that allows them to, and, and so he has to orchestrate this, this vast network of components and deli to deliver that experience that his customers want. I, I think it's becoming universal. And so that prism sits on top of these workflows. And so I think if we isolate only on the technology or even just isolate only on the workflow, we miss that layer and it can lead us astray. So we need sort of these three different perspectives when we're looking at all these different components. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, teasing that apart a little bit, you mentioned like, you know, we can debate what platform means and I always try to frame it for folks that like on one side is how do you build a marketplace and the dynamics of building marketplaces are it's more of almost like a macroeconomic exercise versus a composable business or kind of a modular architecture. But those two things have to be in line, right? They have to be in sync. And 
I'll be honest, I've never really seen anyone get it right, but I feel like that's the magic thing that we're all trying to figure out how to make work. Um, but I like that your perspective is the reason to do that all is customer centric in nature, right? What is it that customers are trying to accomplish and that you're just part of a bigger set of pieces, right? In the puzzle. Um, so that's kind of the, the, I guess, where you're coming from with customer experience is, is that to get that right, you have to have thought about how you fit into the, the broader ecosystem and how you consume all those elements of that ecosystem. Absolutely. And I think what's what's really interesting and important is that that ecosystem and those building block parts, whether it's being internally consumed or externally consumed, are becoming more important, not less, more complex, not less. The you know, part of the reason I love what you guys are doing is because I'm a huge, huge believer. I believe, you know, if if people walk away from this and say there's two things I really need to get my head around, it's it's design thinking and systems thinking. And what I find so fascinating is that I'm one of the few people that's talking about both of those in the same breath. And I believe you have to talk about these in the same breath because the design thinking is the outward in the customer centricity part of this to say, what is the value creation model? And the systems thinking is acknowledging the fact that what we're delivering and how we're delivering it is insanely complex. And there's all these unintended consequences if we do not sort of peel that onion and get under the covers of it. And we have to join these at the hip. And so I love what you're doing is you're taking something that is typically a very technical construct, right? That, and, and is really focused on the sort of systems thinking side of this and elevating it to say, we have to start with the design thinking side. We have to start with what are we trying to achieve and pull it together. And now if you extrapolate that, I think that fundamental model extends to literally the business model of every organization in the mm -hmm. digital era. So when you talk about a platform, right? The debate is I know there's some people will say a platform from a technology perspective is only a piece of technology I can build other technologies on top of. But I think more holistically, and I think every organization is fundamentally becoming a platform because they have to create this, this enablement, this platform, I guess, of, of connecting all of their partners, their employees and their customers together to create exponential value. And so that becomes the sort of linchpin of all this coming together and the minute you go down that road, you start realizing how flippin' hard it really is. And that's why the, you know, the stuff that you're doing and, and others like you is so vital because we need to have that sort of, you know, abstracted perspective that help us see it all. Yeah, it's definitely hard. Um, having tried to do that job over the years, I can uh, relate. Um, I, see, for me, the way that the thing that you're describing and the term that I think doesn't really get used as much, people will lean on kind of API design. And I mean, obviously like stoplight, we talk about that a lot because that's kind of the core of what we do. But I think the way we think about it more, um, and, and I think it's in line with what you're describing is it's really platform design. It's like, how do you design the big picture of what you do as a business and how you relate to all the things around you? Um, and it's weird because when we talk to podcast guests and, and meet lots of people who run successful programs, and we go, you know, what's the most important fundamental, where do you start? Right? Um, it's get the customer language, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's a really like kind of, uh, you know, I'm trying to be like DC term here, but like screws up your brain a little trying to think about how simple and fundamental and primal some of these things can be in terms of, you know, how to, do platform thinking. It's not a technical exercise most times. 
Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, in, in your kind of engagements and, and meeting folks, you know, what aspect of this is kind of cultural in nature and that sort of thing? I, I think it's massively cultural. It, it's it's massively dependent on the leadership of an organization. You know, I, I ran, I spent 10 years running large scale organizational change efforts, right? And, and you know, the, I used to call it squeezing the lemon from both ends because, you know, there's folks who'll say, well, you got to, it's got to be bottom up or it's got to be top down. The reality, it has to be both. And the top down part has to do with that shifting mindset of how we look at it. I mean, you, know, you talk about API design and API design is, a, in my opinion, a dangerous term to your point. It's not really about designing the API. It's really about designing the outcome. And, and, you know, so once you start getting that elevated, which is why I'm such a huge believer in this idea of customer centricity, because it forces you to get out of that box. Right. And so I think that it is, it is an incredibly challenging thing to address. I think it's particularly challenging for IT organizations, for technical functions, um, technical people, frankly, because we, we, you know, I, I count, I still count myself. I still break out my my fingers and do some coding once in a blue moon here. I mean, we got into this space because we, we love the idea of what technology can do and we geek out on it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great thing. It's why we're good at what we do. But we always have to maintain, you know, that perspective that it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. It has to serve some value. When we're screwing around with our own time, that's fine. But with our, with our work, it has to deliver some value. And we have to understand what that value is. We've got to get there first. And, and the, the challenge with a lot of um, technical functions, and you talk about culture and leadership teams, is that it's a, I'm, I'm a huge believer, you, you know, what we measure is what we're going to manage and the outcomes we're going to get. And so much of how we treat development teams um, in terms of the metrics we put on them are the antithesis of the kinds of things we should be doing if we're trying to push this idea of looking at what the value equation looks like and how we're going to create that customer centric value with everything we're doing. And so th there are some definitive cultural shifts that have to happen within development teams to sort of bring that around. Yeah. I love your description of kind of top down and bottom up. We, we talk a lot here on the show with folks about like this idea of, you know, if you're advocating for this kind of change in the organization is like, screw the org chart, build a band of rebels. Right. Um, but, your first mission is to get executive buy-in on what needs to happen and start with how to change the way you measure the success of the business, uh, which I, I feel like this is the crux of why these transformations fail so bad. <laughs> like, you know, by the numbers, the failure rates are huge, is that you have a group of technical folks trying to think about how to modularize and kind of distribute the architecture but they lack the customer awareness to understand how that fundamental, why that changes the customer experience and ultimately results in you have to measure your business differently, uh, especially if you're shifting into marketplace dynamic. And, and I'd argue it goes both ways because, you know, I having having been an IT or a technical guy for most of my career, I'm very sensitive to this because, you know, I, I joke that they stuck us in the literal and metaphorical basement and wanted us to stay there and kind of, you know, do our thing. And that was mostly their own ignorance. Right. I, I remember I, I did this um, show for Intel for about a year and a half, and I interviewed another former IT guy who was running a digital marketing company. And his opinion was that that there, the idea of a CMO or a CHRO, all those were going to go away, replaced with um, a CTR, CT, I might blow it, but, you know, the chief technology marketing officer. Right. The technology was going to be central to everyone's business. 
And I think that's true. And I think it's still lagging. I think that there's still in many of the enterprise leadership in particular, there is still a sort of willful technical ignorance that is, is damaging because we, so, you know, if I'm, if I'm running an API team today or any kind of a technical function, it's not just, I mean, so part of this is incumbent on me to understand the customer impact, to understand the customer experience, to understand how value is going to be created, all of those pieces. It's also incumbent upon me to use that context to educate the enterprise leadership team as to both the complexity and criticality of building this properly because they don't understand it. And, and you know, it used to be my statement a decade ago would have been, it's not their job to understand it. Well, I think that's out the window. It is their job to understand it. They have to understand the complexity of what sounds like a simple thing is actually really, really difficult and it's worth investing to do it right first instead of trying to fix it later. And the cost, the, the, the risks and ramifications in, in the form of failed experience, and this is why the, the anchoring to this idea of the digital experience as the driver of value is such a critical construct, because you can now connect the two. You can now say, if you don't do this right up front, if you don't make these investments, if we don't adopt the sort of cultural ethos of design thinking in everything we do, including how we're doing API design, then the risks are that we're going to deliver failed experiences. And once we, and I can show you, I can give you the data. Once you have a failed experience, you've lost that customer. The cost of acquisition to get that customer back or to get the new customer to replace them are astronomical compared to simply executing on this and making the investments in that sort of infrastructure up front. And so I think it's a conversation that has to happen both ways. And certainly this article I wrote for CIO is kind of my effort to try to bring that conversation around that to help enterprise executives understand how critical this really is. Yeah, it's, it, uh, you know, I've come in at a bunch in this last year, I feel like after 10 plus years of obsessing over this topic of building platforms and APIs, there's finally enough body of evidence to show folks who don't get it. And, I, and I'll, I would extend that beyond executives into kind of the investment community too. There's just a broad lack of awareness of what the heck is going on. But um, like in, in Forbes recently, um, another set of my favorite authors on uh, the Platform Revolution um, book series from Sangeet Paul Chaudhry and um, Marshall Van Alstyne. Van Alstyne put out some data in Forbes showing like the competitive advantage that companies with these kind of focused API strategies have had over the, it was like the last four and 16 years were kind of the two increments. Um, and it was like astounding, like in the last four years or something like a 12% improvement. And I think it was like 40% uh, competitive uh, advantage over the last, maybe it's 12 years. Um, but it's like for so long, it's been, you're right, trying to tell the story and you don't have a way to say why this this is successful, but it's been long enough now in 2022, there is a large body of evidence that you can prove this pretty scientifically that if you do this, you're going to be more successful than competitors that don't, right? Well, you know, you're, you're, um, you're part of the, the, the problem here with this. In the, the, I think the API industry to a certain extent has, has done itself a disservice in that there is this massive effort to make APIs sound and feel like, hey, it's so simple now. We build this API. And, and it's all true, right? It's all compared to having lived through all the you know, ETL wars and, and uh, EDI and all that kind of, it was like astronomically easier. But what there's this, there, actually, there's a law that I forgot what it's called, but, but as we create this level of abstraction that allows us to simplify, 
what it does, it opens the door to do things that were simply too complex to even imagine in the past. And so what happens is the complexity just follows us. So yes, it's infinitely easier now, but now you have this proliferation that creates this extra layer of complexity that makes the management process that much harder. And so the, the challenge, I think, a little bit is that everyone thinks in, about APIs in this very simple form factor. Um, when an API strategy, what you're talking about is really this enabler of an ecosystem or platform or platform and ecosystem approach to how we engage at a business level. And, and there is a tremendous amount of value and opportunity in doing that. And interestingly enough, I think it's still, we're just barely scratching the surface on this still. Most organizations are, you know, they, they still have an internal first sort of attitude. And organizations that build this capability that you're talking about, suddenly that falls away. I don't have to start. I can start by saying, what is the best way of accomplishing this? How can I create competitive value the fastest? Because I have this capability layer that sort of takes the shackles off. And, and that is transformative when organizations sort of get their head around it. So, you know, my big message right now to an enterprise leader is there's an opportunity here to create some leapfrogging if you embrace this today. Yeah, I, I think the two ends of the extreme, on the one end, I, I call it like the, the naive Bezos move of like, thou shalt build APIs uh, or you'll be fired, right? Everyone loves uh, feeling like you can just be decisive and say that and good things will happen. And they don't most times. Right, you end up with an ocean of things you don't understand. Um, the other end of the spectrum is what I think you're describing is kind of this inverse Conway maneuver, right? Conway's law, the idea that you know your your software reflects how you organize yourself, and the inverse Conway maneuver being have an intentional view of your capabilities in customer centric language, so that as you build your architecture, everyone understands it, right? Uh, and it's funny because ThoughtWorks like stop tracking this on their radar of six years ago but i feel like that's it's almost like it's off the radar because it's just a supposition at this point that this is the right way to do things and it requires having this design thinking design before you build mindset um that you know isn't isn't fully widely adopted and understood so we're in a precarious time i think <laughs> yeah no it, it, there's no question i mean i'm you know, I've been a, a design thinking adherent for a decade, and I'm almost shocked at how little uptake it still has in, you know, most enterprise organizations. I was super excited at, you know, SAP at Sapphire five, six years ago, had his whole thing on design thinking, and it went nowhere. You know, it just, so it, it is, you know, but, but the, the flip side of it, I think is, you know, well, here's the reason. It, to your point, it requires a cultural shift. It requires an investment in changing how an organization functions and operates. It takes time. We can't just buy a piece of software, install it, and go, voila, here we go. Um, but I actually think all that's a good thing, at least if, if I'm an enterprise leader today, because I look at it and say that means that's still ripe for competitive advantage. It means if I leverage this and harness it, it's not, you know, by the time everyone has done it, then it's worthless. And so I still think there's a tremendous opportunity. I am actually shocked and chagrined at how often. I see experiential failures across the board, despite just like in, in you know, your, the case you were pointing out, there is mountains of evidence of how impactful the experience is to everything and that drives business value. And yet organizations routinely not only fail in their delivery, but they fail to invest in, they fail to even try. So it's, there, is, there is so much opportunity and, there, and it's all interconnected, right? So 
embracing API design and going down this road and building an API, that, that in of itself is not going to create these winning experiences. But I can also say the converse is true. If you don't do that, your ability to deliver and sustain experiences over the long haul are all but non-existent. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a critical part of the, this, this equation that is evolving. Love it. Um, so I, I have to ask because it's just the thing we do on here to kind of uh, wrap things up and it feels like we're there. Is like, that's all pretty complicated. I think for a lot of listeners who maybe are, are in that situation where they're not doing all the right things and they want to get the ball rolling. So what's your best advice on, you know, where folks should get started? What's kind of the, the best way to, to start thinking this way or start creating this culture shift or just doing the right thing? So, well, I think there's two challenges, depending on, you know, who you are, you may not have the authority or the power, you know, the, the span of influence to go and act any of these kind of changes yourself, because it is a big thing. Uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, the, 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 the person we control is ourselves and our own way of thinking. So make that effort. I struggle with it every day, to be honest. All right. I, my wife and I have another business and I routinely like, you know, wake up and start slapping myself going, what kind of idiot are you? Design thinking, customer, customer, right? Because I'm an IT guy. I fall back to these same things. So, so building some of that yourself, as far as your own mindset shifts, certainly, you know, reading and educating yourself around this. Um, I am also a huge, huge believer on, on a couple of things. One, you know, find people outside the domain. And I'm sorry if this is heresy, but, you know, get people that are outside of the API space, get, you know, a buddy that is ideally even outside of tech and trade the kind of war stories, because as you start hearing how other people are interacting, it changes your mindset. Some of the best things I've ever learned had nothing to do with tech. And I asked myself, how could I translate them to what we're doing? I, I remember having a, um, I used to be in DC a lot. I was running this project for a federal agency and I got talking with the um, hotel manager that at the hotel I stayed all the time. And he found out I was an IT and over wine one night, he'd had a couple that he felt he could be open. He says, Charlie, if my IT organization would come and spend one day with me, they would see how their technology affects my ability to serve our guests, right? Getting out of your seat and into the field, talking to others about how all this affects everything. It's what changes your mindset. And as you start sharing that with others, it's, it's like I said, it's a slow process. Um, if you are a leader, if you are running an organization, you've, if you do have that authority and span of control, you know, my advice is all those same things, but also start, start now, start small, start doing something around this sort of mindset shift, right? The mindset shift is more important than anything else. Um, you know, that said, Get your tools that help support it, right? The, the biggest challenge, I think, with a lot of the technology is that it actually works against it. You get people all fired up and then it takes them down the wrong path because the tools were architected for a different time and era. So, you know, it's about making those kind of strategic investments and being willing to go down that road. But, but to your point, it is first and foremost a cultural effort. Awesome advice. Um, you know, I, I love the last bit there is like, it, and this is kind of the way I say it to folks is like, pick something and ship it. Don't boil the ocean, but keep incrementally moving toward like kind of a, a vision of what you want things to look like and know some idea of what it is. Um, I feel like so many people get stuck in these ocean boiling exercises of trying to architect all nothing ship and a lot of cost. Um, so I love that advice. Yeah, and I'll double down on that just a little bit. It's something that I would, when I was uh, 
like mentoring some folks, I said, uh, and it's funny, I, I do the same thing as a writer, right? The, my line when I coach writers is I say, you know, every single line earns you the right for the next one. And it's the same thing with this is that you have to earn the right for the next strategic conversation. And you do that by getting that win, by having the proof point that says, you know, not only do we deliver on budget on time, but look at this capability that we built and the extensibility it gives us to drive the sort of change and flexibility we need. And that gives you the right, the political capital to have the next conversation. So absolutely. Yeah, I've also heard of it as the, uh, the existence proof. Is when you try to get people to think bigger and think different, sometimes just having an example, go look, it's possible, yeah. suddenly changes everything. Um, Beautiful. Closing the imagination gap, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, Charles, an absolute pleasure to talk. Uh, I think I'm probably going to get in trouble for going way over time here, but uh, we could geek out about this stuff all day. Uh, so really, thank you so much for uh, being so open and sharing all of your experiences, including the cows and kiwis. Absolutely. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, Look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.